Everybody dies, don't they? Everybody Somehow. come back, don't they? Isn't that so? You tried to get into the locked drawer today, didn't you? you tried How do the dead come back? The Sexton and the Demoiselle by Tony Walker. A wisp of snow noticed as it touches the cheek, and then nothing more, as if the sky had changed its mind and decided to hold off through respect for the scene enacted below. This is the scene. The rector stands in alb, stole, and chasuble, reading from the Book of Common Prayer. Man that is born of woman hath but a short time to live, and is full of misery. He cometh up, and is cut down like a flower. He fleeth as it were a shadow, and never continueth in one stay. Hand up to impose silence on the congregation, and then, I am the resurrection and the life, saith the Lord. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. So, she's gone, fair Madeline, she whom he had gazed on from afar and never dared to seek out, never speak his words of love, never touch, never sighed to her his heartfelt devotion. But that is untrue, there had been sighs, not sighs of conjoined passion, he had never dared do more than dream of that but many a lonely sigh had broken from the breast of Almeric Deeks, Sexton at St. Cuthbert's Kirk Linton, as he dreamed of Madeline, and longed for her, and wished her his wife. Her father stands there, a landowner, known to be stern, but now his pale face bearing the redness of tears stifled and cleared away, though her mother does not hide hers, and sisters and brothers, all seven of them, being consoled by family and the rector himself, with kind words in an undertone, promising resurrection of those who die pure in heart. Her father says, She was pure, aye, never a purer lass was born, and remained so until her dying day. And another stands there, with them, but not exactly the same, though surely similar. He is Andrew Elliot a yeoman farmer's son to whom the deceased was promised in marriage, a young man, ten years younger than the sexton Almeric Deeks, but one who will inherit stock and buildings and name. Almeric did not doubt that Elliot loved Madeline, who lay now in a box six feet deep in a hole that Almeric himself graved out. But though he did not doubt the yeoman's love, what love could compare with Almeric's own for lovely Madeline, with her face pale as lilies, and black hair that gleamed in sunlight, and her mouth that in life was livid and red, but in death pale and blue? Almeric had loved the girl as no other could, all through her disregard for him, all through her turning aside when he came near her, as if she knew his secret heart. What finer, purer passion than Almeric's could there be? Yet she had returned his unspoken, unshown devotion with plain and pointed disdain. All he'd wanted was to love her. All he'd wanted was to speak to her, and all he'd desired was for her to love him back. 
though he knew that could never be. Not with her status as the daughter of the richest farmer for miles around, and his as a penniless, landless digger of graves, a mere servant to the monuments of St. Cuthbert's. Not only that, but he was no Cumberland man, having been blown to the Scottish border by some chance from his native Essex, a place called Langenhoe, fifteen years before, and, though they tolerated him, they had never invited him into their bosom. And how their northern voices and his eastern ones, with their hard consonants and his soft ones, mixed like oil and milk, that is, imperfectly, and with many misunderstandings. But still, they came to him for cures and charms and fortunes. They called him a cunning man. He lived outside the village, and they sneaked there after dark, ashamed of their superstition, but greedy for his words and his divination, and his charms of love and revenge. Back home in Langenhoe, in the flatlands by the German sea, They'd said his mother was a witch, and her godly neighbours set fire to the hovel Almeric and she lived together in. His mother perished in that fire, and the good bodies of the hamlet showed no regret, but warned him that unless he fled the parish, he too would burn. So Almeric Deeks had come as far away as he could to a place where no one knew him, and where he could start again. He took with him his mother's knowledge of plants and potions and tinctures, and with it he earned pennies to supplement his work as the gravedigger of St. Cuthbert's, and indeed any other church who would pay him to dispose of its dead. The rector, being an educated man who had been at Cambridge in his time, understood his East Anglian speech, but these farmers and reavers got but half what he said. In his heart, Almeric had hoped Madeline would have understood his words of love, but she never gave him the opportunity. He'd first met Madeline when she'd come with her sister a year before to ask when she would marry. He'd raked the coals and read the embers and told her she never would. Madeline stood with a snort. What do you know, a warlick like yourself, a stranger from knee place with knee kin and knee land and money? I'll marry sure enough, and I know it, because I already have his eye. And in the candlelight, because his hovel was gloomy despite the daylight outside, he thought she was the most beautiful girl he'd seen, more beautiful because of the pout of her red lips and the pride in her white cheeks and the anger behind her sea-grey eyes. Her sister Amanda said, pointing, what are all these dried flowers and grasses you keep hanging from the beam here? Almeric Deke said, That is mugwort, and that vervain, that jar is haws, and the other rose hips. And what is the use of them? said Madeline, her pride battling with and subdued for a while by her curiosity. They are for sleep, and healing, and dreams. And these red and white pieces, are these the mushrooms of the fair folk that grow under pines and beeches? What use are they? Almeric did not answer, and Madeline answered for him. They are poison, sister. He's a poisoner. And the sister tilted her head, curious, appalled, and yet delighted. Are you a poisoner, good man, Deeks? Is it true what my sister says? Deeks shook his head. 
I have never poisoned anyone. Madeline snorted. Not yet, anyway. He had seen her after she'd been promised to Elliot not three days ago on New Year, and he'd offered her his congratulations. He thought that was the only time she'd ever smiled at him. She was so delighted with her match. He offered her a red apple as a wedding gift. He'd picked them in autumn from the tree by his hut and stored them safe since then. She took it and bit it and said, You see, you were wrong, he shrugged. Was I wrong, Madeline? She took another bite of the apple and her mouth was perfect, he thought, and her flashing eyes and her lustrous hair. Yes, wrong. You said I would never marry, and I am to be married to Andrew Elliot, whose father is the richest farmer in Heathersgill. Deeks stood silent. She taunted him. What say you to that, Goodman Deeks? Do you acknowledge that I will be married despite your false words and your failed seeing? And then he shook his head and said, You will not marry, Madeline. Never. She shook her head. Ah, but I will. I will prove you wrong and come and tell you so. After the funeral, they all left, the yeoman and his grieving family, and the snow began, and then the unfulfilled suitor, after a half-glance at the hole, followed them. Perhaps he would find love with the second daughter, the less pretty sister, the second best to his late beloved. It was business, after all. Almeric watched them depart. For him, no one else but Madeline would do. She was gone, and so it would be just as well for him to follow her and lay in this grave himself. He stood for a long while, and the snow landed on the shoulders of his rough coat and on the rough hands that held the spade with which he would complete his work. The rector came and said, Well, Deeks, that's it done. Fill it, then get away. It is bitter cold this afternoon, and the graveyard is no place to be. Yes, sir, Deeks said, but he did not move. The rector was about to leave, then tilted his head. They do say you were sweet on her. Deeks shrugged. They, sir? Who are they? The local gossips. And I see from your face and your tears that it was so. But she was not for you. You know that. They hoped for better for her. You see that, don't you? And did they get it, sir? The rector frowned. The Lord's ways are opaque to us, though one day we may know at his grace. But in any case, don't linger. Go home to your cottage when you're done. Any other work will wait until tomorrow, or better weather, whichever comes first. And so the rector left, and Almeric Deeks stood alone with his spade and the yew trees and the crows gathering to roost. The snow fell hurriedly now, and the graves and tussocks of earth were dusted with white. Almeric watched as the snow fell thick on the box that held his darling, and still he stood while the short day withered to grey shadow, and the rooks grew quiet and settled in the tops of the yew trees, and the snow kept falling. But then, before the light was gone altogether, he stuck his spade in the heap of spoil and threw the first of it onto the box where it clattered with pebbles and wet clay on damp wood. Almeric's eyes filled with tears, and he shook his head as if in reproof of himself. And then he stepped down into the grave itself and took his spade, got its edge under the coffin lid, and twisted and heaved 
and broke open the box. Then he took his rough workman's hands and in the cold and wet, with the snow falling on his shoulders and drifting into his eyes, he lifted the lid and looked upon her, his dead beloved Madeline for the last time. So she lay, pale and dead in her shroud, her hands clasped together, her eyes closed and looking like she was no more than sleeping, though her paleness showed it was the sleep of death, not a sleep that would wake to the sunrise. He whispered, I spoke true when I said you wouldn't marry Madeline. I loved you, but if you wouldn't be mine, then you would be no one's. The light was now almost gone, and she lying there was nothing but the memory of a love, whiter than the dark wood and the darker earth that surrounded her. He stooped and kissed her cold, dead lips, and he replaced the coffin lid and climbed from the grave and finished the burying. And when he was finally done, he turned and left the churchyard by the path under the bare oak tree that stands alone. And when he got to the gate, he stopped and turned, for someone had come down the path following him and was standing there behind him. There was no light left in the day, but she was brighter than the dark around her, and brighter than any mortal had right to be. It came to him that she had stolen the daylight and enfolded it unto herself, but she stood, shrouded, her dark hair hanging down like black rags, her mouth that had been red, now pale blue, her cheeks that had been white, now dirt grey. Madeline, he whispered, how can it be that you stand here? And in a panic he wondered if he hadn't really killed her and that he'd buried her alive. For such things were not unknown. Perhaps his poison had merely held her asleep and feigning death until now she awoke. Now he could pose as her rescuer, and because he was the one that saved her from being buried alive, she might love him at last. But, as you may guess, that was not how it would be at all. Madeline spoke. I stand here, Almaric Deeks, as you always wanted me. I have come to you in fulfilment of your deepest wish. Joy swept over him, but it was a joy mixed with horror. He had not buried her alive. She was dead in her box and dead standing there before him. She came to him and he stood to greet her, and she reached out her arms, and he took them, and she pulled him to her, and he felt the chill of her body, and the cold touch of her fingers on his flesh. Let me kiss you, Almeric, she said. With only the slightest hesitation, he leaned down to kiss her pale lips, but just before she let him, she said, you said I would never marry Almeric, and I told you that you were wrong. He said, But you will never marry Madeline, for you are dead. She smiled. My marriage vow is in my kiss, and in my kiss is my cold revenge. Almeric Deeks was found under fallen snow, frozen and dead, by a boy from the cottage opposite the church. An alarm was raised, and the rector was called, and the gossips gathered. They saw Almeric had completed his work and filled in Madeline's grave. 
The rector sighed. He must have died of cold. I told him he should go straight home after he'd done his work, but for some reason he lingered. He must have lingered in meditation of the girl whom he loved, though he never admitted it. And though we might say the cold killed him, perhaps, more truly, it was his love that did it. Everybody dies, don't they? Everybody comes back, don't they? Isn't that so? You tried to get into the locked drawer today, didn't you? So that was one of my own stories, uh, shortish, 16 minutes, 30 seconds, The Sexton and a Demoiselle, and it's in my collection, just published Further Ghost Stories. The audiobook isn't complete yet, but the, there is a, a print, you can buy a hardback, you can buy a paperback, you can buy a ebook. you can buy a PDF. Uh, now, it's available through Amazon, boo hiss, boo hiss. Uh, listen, Amazon, um, whatever we think of them, they pay me, so... There we are. Um, but I, I acknowledge that some people don't want to buy them. I, I can't produce paperbacks. I may look at doing it through Ingram Spark in future, but at the moment I can't produce paperbacks for you except through Amazon. But I may look at through Ingram Spark. That is something to think about. But um, if you're just happy with the ebook or the PDF, then it is available from Kofi, my Kofi store. Um, good thing about that is I get, I get to keep more of the. Uh, it's it's three fifty. So it's not exorbitant. It's about the price of a cup of coffee. Uh, there are 19 stories. Some are long, some are short. This is one of them. There are a whole range of stories, you know, you can imagine. You know, I, some of them you may have heard before on this, but they've never been published before in a book. I have done the White Heaven Body Snatcher, which is on this. I did versions of the Coattail Highwayman and the Skulls and Bees, but the written, the, the complete version is is different and better, I think. So there we are, that's that. So that is not just a plug. I hope you like the story. Story is yours, whatever you choose to do with it. Um, it may prompt you to go on and buy the book. That would be lovely if you did. It's available through Amazon. If you hate Amazon, then um, go to my Kofi store and I will put a link in there. Um, it's one of those funny stories because um, it. So the elements that come together, it's like you have a, a pot of different things, of buttons. My grandmother used to have a a tin, a, a sweet tin, or an old biscuit tin of different kinds of buttons that she kept in a cupboard by the fire underneath to the right-hand side of the fire. And when I was very little, I used to creep in there and hide. But then I got too big to do it <laughs> after, after I was about three. Uh, but, but I still used to pull the buttons out and love counting all these little metal buttons. The metal shiny buttons were my favourites, but uh, different, different kinds of buttons. Anyway, being a writer is a bit like that, I find because you have things from elsewhere. So the elements that have come together in this are um, a Dickens story about the sexton which, and the goblin, which has nothing to do with this really, apart from it's a winter Christmas graveyard story. So I suppose it has something to do with it. Uh, and then the, the village of Kirklinton and St Cuthbert's Church, where we went to a Christmas fair in, in the Kirklinton Hall on a very sunny day in December um, 2022. And we passed... Um, St Cuthbert's Church. The th there's a lot. St Cuthbert was a, a big Northumbrian saint, and there are lots of St Cuthbert's churches and St Oswald as well. And they date from the Northumbrian. They date, you know, arguably from. They are memories at least of the Northumbrian occupation because Northumberland or Northumbria conquered or took over. We don't really know what happened. 
Cumbria and uh, we're, uh, we're in possession of it for from about the late 600s to till the Vikings came in the 9th century. And uh, anyway, so St. Cuthbert's Church is probably an old, and it stands on a hill. It's an, a really nice church. Uh, and so those were some elements. The Dickens story, my trip to Kirklinton, uh, and there's that the whole border area is full. I mean, there's all the border bar- ballads and things. It was a wild and lawless area for a long time uh, on the border between Scotland and England, this so-called debatable land that didn't belong to either kingdom. And I don't think either of them wanted it because it was so wild and full of violent, um, disagreeable reavers who have left their names to us, the Hetheringtons and the Armstrongs and the Nixons and the Elliots and loads of others. Anyway, um, so those were the things. And then I just had this idea. Oh, yeah, and the other thing was I I have another channel called uh, Haunted Places and I do kind of real ghost stories. And I was looking for ghost stories and I came across a ghost story set in a little village called Langenhoe in Essex. And I really liked the story. And I kind of was something about that place that um, I thought, that's good. And the, the when I, I did research into it and the families and the Deeks family were involved there and also with the haunting of Borley Rectory, which was not too far from Langenhoe, which is actually in Essex, although Langen, Langen, I think it's Langenhoe in Essex. Yeah, it is. It's not in Suffolk. It's not too far from Suffolk, but it's not actually in Suffolk. Anyway, so I, and also I did a bit of research into the dialect because, you know, I like dialects and the Suffolk dialect, which is, like many English traditional English dialect, dying out, and I think most of the people there talk like sort of general general southeastern London influenced accent, but the old guys and gals, they have you know a, a distinctive accent, and actually it's not well known not not here for me. I'm a long way from um, East Anglia, traditional East Anglia. Uh, although I do fancy going on a on a barge holiday down there in Ely and uh, Cambridge and various St. Edmunds. I have visited, but a um, long time ago. Um, but uh, I'd like to go back. I liked it. Uh, and, oh, yeah, we used to go to Bilderston in Suffolk because there was the Crown there, which was a haunted. When I was doing my ghost tours, we used to go there, and I had some weird experiences there. So it's a great place to visit. So, so this story of the ghost of Langenhoe intruded in, and, and then I thought... Uh, Folk horror. I must have been thinking folk horror and wise women. And uh, I've just got a book uh, by, by the author, by the screenwriter of The Blood on Satan's Claw, which is a, you probably know is one of the, the classic triptych or triad or whatever, trinity of films that are the, the, the canon, the corpus of folk horror. And that's set in East Anglia. But actually, just by coincidence, I wrote this story before I got that book, but I'm reading that. So I'm very. Um, 17th century witchy countrysidey type thing so that's that really not too long a story this week but we mix it up if you really like long stories you will see that I've done compilations on the so called sleep stories channel that go on for hours and they're usually kind of yeah stories I've done before put together so just to finish that's it this is a story from my new collection of ghost they're not all ghost stories there are monster stories. They're just kind of whimsical stories as well. Uh, but most of them have a supernatural element. And the Further Ghost Stories by Tony Walker, you can get it from my Kofi store, see link, or you can go to the megalithic, monotonic Amazon 
I am taking over the world um, and um, get it there depending on your fancy alright I'll be back soon everybody dies don't they everybody so come back don't they? isn't that everybody so you tried to get into the locked drawer today didn't you